Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our assembly this morning. I'm so encouraged that you have chosen to be here today, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online. We're so glad that you're here. And I hope that all of us will leave today with our hearts encouraged and with a deeper love for Jesus that will change the way that we live, that we will live each and every day on mission for Him. I'm excited today to introduce to, our, to, uh, to you our speaker, and as I'm doing that, you may want to go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 19, because that's where we're going to camp out today. But our speaker today is Chad Baker, and Chad, I'm just going to ask you, how long have you been part of our church, and how did you get here? We've been here for two years now. Uh, my wife, Micah, uh, my daughter, Karis, who's 10 months old, and they're not, they came to first service. Um, but we are originally from Dallas-Fort Worth. We felt called uh, to move to Brazil and do mission work for at least two years. It ended up being five and a half. Um, and we just moved back two years ago, and we, we had the, the opportunity to move anywhere we wanted to. And um, we chose here, and we landed here because my wife's an Aggie, um, and she always raved about this church. So since we could live anywhere, we wanted to have the community, and um, this is why we ended up in College Station, and we're loving it. So love being a part of this church. Well, I am so happy that you're going to be walking us through this text because this is a special text that's part of our Out of the Shadows uh, sermon series, someone who's living in the shadows but different for different reasons than others that we've talked about today. So before we get into the text, let me pray real quick and I'll turn the time to you. Oh, dear God, we never want to take for granted a time to assemble, a time to listen to your word. And so, Father, I pray today that we will pause right now, recognize your presence, recognize your spirit living within us. And so, Father, I pray that you be with Chad in a special way as he guides us through this really special text. And I also pray, Father, that you be with our hearts, that they can be soft and that you can teach us exactly what we need to hear today. So we turn this time to you, Father, and ask that you do your work through your spirit and through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that. So we've been going through this Out of the Shadows uh, series. If you've been participating with us during this summer, uh, we've talked about the leper who was out, uh, cast out of the city. We talked about Samaritans, who we all know how Jews felt about Samaritans, how they were a mixed breed, and, and they looked down upon Samaritans, but not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman on that, which would have put her lower on the social uh, standpoint. Then last week, uh, Kelly referenced a widow who was constantly going before a judge. It's a parable that Christ shared, um, and how she's going before him constantly because she doesn't have anyone else to go on her behalf to this judge. And how we talk about the, uh, the, the people that are on the fringes of society, this lady for sure was. And so that's kind of been the focus, is looking at how does Christ approach these people who are in the shadows, who are on the fringes of society. And so today's story is no different, just like Kelly said, in a different way. Uh, 
whenever Kelly asked me to speak on, on this specific person, I was thinking about it during the week and, and I hadn't agreed yet. And all of a sudden, uh, my nieces are over at our house, Sage and Sailor, uh, some of y'all may know them. And they just started singing this song. I know. They were here during first service. They're adorable, we know, and they know it. Um, so he had asked me to speak on Zacchaeus, and I, I, like I said, I hadn't responded back to him, and all of a sudden they're playing at our house, and they just started singing this, and I look over at them, and in this moment, I'm just kind of shocked, and I'm like, I didn't even know they knew this song. So I'm like, who taught you that song? And they're like, oh, mom. I'm like, cool. So it's not just my generation. I just, real quick, can we show, how many of you know that song? Okay, yeah, this is, I mean, for most of us, this song is probably one of the most well-known Bible story songs from our childhood, followed close by Noah and his arky arky. Um, but like, we all know the story of Zacchaeus. And I think because of that, growing up, there's good things to that. I mean, if I was ever you know, at a Bible bowl, which was kind of like LTC back in my generation. And we all, we all had these cubes that we'd show A, B, and C, and D, what our answer was. And some of y'all can relate to this. Um, if there was a question on Zacchaeus, you know I got it right, okay? And then if I was ever playing Bible trivia, you know, with a group of friends, and there was a question on Zacchaeus, I got it right because I knew the song. Had I been on Jeopardy on December 1st, 1997, when Alex Trebek mentioned a short man in the Bible climbing what kind of tree, I would have known it was a sycamore tree just like you did. And we would have all yelled at the person who got it wrong. And we would have got 200 points for that one. Just so you know, crazy things you come across in Google. But we would have gotten those. And honestly, this song, it... it reminded me of the moral of the story behind Zacchaeus. I mean, we, uh, it's obvious we are to give to the poor and we are not to rob people. So those are great moral lessons that we learned back then and we can still apply today. But I think the bad part about this is that we recognize, okay, I've I've got that. I, I get Zacchaeus. I get the moral. I got the lesson. So I never really looked at these 10 verses again thinking, I got it. So when Kelly asked me, I was like, well, everybody knows it. Why? What am I going to say? So I started looking at the text and studying it. And I was surprised by how much is actually in there. So uh, I'm just going to read it real quick for us. I know you all know it. Uh, it is in Luke 19, and again, it's just 1 through 10. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Jesus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, sorry, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. And for the son of man, uh, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And again, I know you just heard that and you're like, yeah, there's nothing in there that I didn't already see. But let's start in verse one. Luke sets the stage in what city is this all happening in, but the city of Jericho. And of course, when I think of Jericho, I think of the walls and I think of them walking around multiple times and blowing the trumpets. And if you were a part of VBS or your kids were, they also know that story. And I think of a specific woman in that city, Rahab, who was a prostitute, also on the fringes of society, in their society, not even Israel's society. But she's a prostitute. And out of the entire city, God saves a prostitute. Not only does he save her, but she then marries into the tribe of Judah, becomes the mother of Boaz, who marries Ruth. And if you know anything about lineage, they are the lineage of David, who is also the lineage of Christ. So when we think about this city and Jericho, I think there's an importance there that we're missing, or at least I did, is that God's been here. He's been in this place, and he's rescued the outcast before. So this isn't anything new to him. But Jericho, at this point, is no longer a bunch of uh, uh, walls shattered on the ground, laying out, of course, um, how they fell. But instead, it's a beautiful city full of vibrant trees and growth. It's part of what's called, over in the Middle East, uh, the Fertile Crescent. Uh, Jericho is right in there, and which means that lots of things grow. There's lots of springs there. It's, so it's a very wealthy city. And it's also a place of a lot of trade. So many people would pass through this city. It was well known. The other thing I didn't know, uh, but historically, priests, a lot of priests resided in Jericho. And so whenever we talk about the crowd later on, um, just know that there were probably a lot of priests trying to listen, trying to figure out who this Jesus guy was. All right, so in verse 2, we look at and we meet this guy named Zacchaeus. And Luke describes him like this. He was a chief tax collector. So we know a couple of things. We, most of us know this, a chief tax collector, he was rich, right? But then he goes on to say, and was wealthy, 
And I think this is funny because uh, have you ever heard people use the same word twice, like really, really? Or, uh, yeah, that kid, he's bad, bad. You know that means like, yeah. So it's kind of what Luke's doing. He's like, he's rich, rich. And so when I picture Zacchaeus, I don't think rich, I think rich, rich. But he was a tax collector. And we know that tax collectors were hated. But what I didn't know is that tax collectors, by the, by the, Israel, uh, the Israelites, tax collectors, because of all their thieving and robbery and crudeness, they were considered unclean. So Zacchaeus wouldn't have been able to walk in and worship in the temples. He wouldn't be able to go and just fellowship with other Israelites There were a lot of things that he couldn't do because he was unclean. So Kelly's been sharing this honor and shame spectrum. And most people that are on the fringes of society, they're disenfranchised. They're the poor. They're usually in that shame section. But of course, when I think of Zacchaeus being the rich rich, I immediately put him up in the honor. I mean, he had power. He was very prominent in society. But then I think of him being unclean and he is shamed and he's despised by the Israelites. And honestly, he's controlled like a puppet by the Romans. So it's really hard for me to kind of pinpoint where Zacchaeus falls in this. I feel like Zacchaeus might be one of the most isolated people because the lepers, at least that were cast out of the city, They went and lived with other lepers. They had their community. Zacchaeus, who does he have? He can't hang out with the rich. They don't want to be related to him in any way. He can't go hang out with the poor. It's not his place either. Um, We we read a children's Bible to my 10-month-old daughter every night, and uh, we do a different story. And I noticed last night as we're reading this, and Of course, this is in my head. On the front cover, there's a lot of different people in the Bible. And Goliath even makes it on the front cover. But if you flip over to the back, there's one person. He's in the tree, and it's Zacchaeus. And I thought that was interesting. Not only is he isolated in society, but the people who created this Bible, like, put him way off. Like, not really there. He's kind of an afterthought. Uh, So I I just thought that was interesting. But he doesn't really have a people. So one other thing about him being unclean is that he wasn't able to touch anyone. Because if an unclean person touches you, you become unclean too. So in 3 and 4, when we see him run ahead and climb a tree, we always just assume it's because he's short. But I would suspect... He's actually being kind of polite. He doesn't want to go push himself through the crowd. I don't know if you know my wife. She's about this tall, and she has no problem pushing through a crowd. I'm like, I'll see you later, because she just kind of zigzags through. That's not me, but she will. I know he could have done it. I mean, right there, but he doesn't. He goes ahead, and he climbs a tree. So my other question is this, and it's because I'm an inquisitive person. 
I wonder if there's another motive for him climbing this tree. Uh, was he, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was. It doesn't say like he wanted to hear what he had to say. He just wanted to see him, wanted to check him out, kind of like a spy. So he gets up in this tree and he's looking over at Jesus. Is he hiding? I, I don't know. But what we do know, either way, is that at some point, he makes this decision. I'm going to go. I'm going to run ahead because I want to see this guy. And I think there's a lot right there. Maybe you've had that decision moment. And I want you just to think back to what your decision moment was. Because if you look at Zacchaeus, the rest of his life is completely changed. But it starts with this decision to run ahead and climb a tree. I mean, I could think of mine, and maybe you don't have yours yet. Maybe you're still teetering on that decision. If you have had that decision, I would just encourage you to share that moment with other people, because there's nothing better for my heart than to hear someone else's story and just sit with them and hear how God completely changed their life because of that one day. That is awesome. And so I just want to encourage you to share that. So then we see him in verse five, and and I'm going to suspect he's hiding because this is where my mind went. I talked about my nieces earlier. You saw them. One of the things they love to do anytime I'm over at their house is play hide and seek. It's like one of the first things. They're like, can we play hide and seek? And I'm being the fun uncle. I'm like, all right, yes, of course we can. We'll only have like 10 seconds to hide because that's what they're going to count to. And then they're off looking. They're peeking anyway. But um, so I go to the easiest place possible behind the bathroom door, right? And I hide there. And I guess if you've ever played hide and seek, you probably know that feeling of when you're hiding in a spot and you're watching and you hear those little footprints come running down the hallway and you start to hold your breath, that anxiety level in your heart just kind of falls up. And you're playing a game, but for some reason you just get like that anxiety and you're pretty sure they're going to find you, not because you're in one of the most obvious places in the house, but instead because they're going to hear your heart beating out of your chest so loudly. They're going to be like, I hear you. And there you are. So I picture him feeling this anxiety as the crowd moves from where they were when he took off, climbed this tree to where they're getting, they're approaching him. And honestly, I I think of when those little girls run past the door and they go to their bedroom and they check in there in the closet and things like that. The second they go past the door, all of a sudden I get a moment of relief. That anxiety level comes down just a little bit, but it's short-lived. It doesn't last. Because once they realize I'm not there, they're back around and they're looking, coming my way. And so... As I'm staying there, uh, I know that they're going to spot me. And I think my anxiety level hits a peak the moment that they stop at the door and they look at me between the little cracks and you know you've met eye to eye and they say, I see you. 
right? Everything just kind of stops for that moment that you meet. And then they say, I see you. And for some reason, all my anxiety at that moment is gone. And I go and I join them to go find the others that are hiding still. And so I picture Zacchaeus at the moment where it says, when Jesus reached the spot, not any spot, the spot, he looks up and they meet eye to eye. And I can feel Zacchaeus' heart just, and he says, Zacchaeus. Now I want us to hear Zacchaeus like Zacchaeus heard it. He's a thief. He's an outcast. He's unclean. He can't worship in the temple. He can't fellowship with other Israelites. He can't even touch people by mistake. And yet this Jesus, who is known to cure the blind, make the lame walk again, clean the lepers, and is rumored that he's the one, the Messiah, come to save the people, stops and looks at him. And I think that's probably the most beautiful picture of Jesus. If you don't feel like this is the craziest thing ever, just look at the people around him's reaction. Yeah, so Kelly used an emoji last week, so I tried to one-up with a GIF, but then it didn't work, so. But yeah, like, you know that GIF. Like, what? Right? Like, they're all, like, shocked. They wouldn't even talk to this guy, and yet Jesus talks to him, and not only talks to him, but says, I'm going to enter into your house, and I'm going to sit down at your table, and I'm going to eat with you. They have to be shocked. And I'm picturing the priests in this town as well. As they walk along with the crowd and they hear this, their reaction had to be the same. Mouths open, trying to figure it out. The other thing I feel about this text is that it hits too close to home. Just this one verse. Because I relate really well to this. When good things happen to other people around me, and I see God blessing other people, And I look at myself because we all have this in us. And I wonder, why not me? I feel like I relate way too much with the crowd. So because this is like something that I think is, it could be a very personal thing. um, I'm not going to open up in this now. But what I did is I put these questions in time for you to talk about this during your small group time. So if you're a part of a small group and you work through those lessons every week, um, you're going to hit on this. And I want you to open it up. Um, if you're not a part of a small group, uh, I'm not a minister here. Like I, uh, I'm not on staff. But I want you to know like, how important small groups has been in my life. And I want to encourage you that after this uh, worship time's over, head up to the, wor- uh, the Welcome Center Find somebody and ask them, how do I get to be a part of a small group? Because that's where life happens. So getting back to Zacchaeus, a few weeks ago we talked about um, the lepers. 
and how they were called unclean and they would shout out unclean and priests would pick up rocks and throw them at lepers. And I just did not know that either. That was crazy. But here we see Christ to every single one of these unclean outcasts. He's throwing out lifelines. In fact, he walks up to Zacchaeus and literally like hands him a lifeline to get out of that rat race he's running, to climb down that social ladder that he did so good at climbing up. He worked so hard to not just become a tax collector, but a chief tax collector and the rich, rich. And he does so, the text says, gladly. We're all, I think this is actually my new lesson from Zacchaeus for me, because I, I didn't really associate with the rich, rich giving to the poor. Like I give to the poor, but I know I'm not rich, rich. So that didn't really associate with me. I'm not taking anyone's money. So that didn't really hit home. But this does. To step away from trying to climb that social ladder, to step away from trying to run that rat race where I don't see people as God's children. There's a book entitled, and I didn't even know it was a book until I looked up this quote. I thought it was just a quote. But it says, love people and use things because the opposite never works. So love people and use things because the opposite never works. I feel like that's the lesson. Start looking at people with love with a passion for their salvation. That's what Christ does with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he's already been at the top. He knows that there's nothing there. And if you don't think like, yeah, that's really where he goes, look at verse eight. He basically gives it all up. Now we see uh, Zacchaeus stood up and said, I'm gonna give half of my money to the poor. So now he's not rich, rich, he's just rich. And then we think, okay, well, then he pays back. He says, if I have cheated anybody, still questioning if he's cheated people, but he knows. If I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And I still think, well, he ended up being rich. But I don't think so. Now that I've looked at this, I mean, if you see, if I'm a Roman and I see my chief tax collector who's supposed to be bringing us money start throwing out his own money like it's nothing, Like he doesn't care about money anymore. Like he cares about people. Am I going to let that guy keep that position? No. He probably lost that job. And honestly, he probably didn't care for it after that anyway. Because he had found something much, much greater than that. So Christ calls him to climb down that social ladder. To quit the rat race. And ultimately, I wonder, like, what does that look like for me? And I think it looks like Micah 6.8, which is a verse we have on our walls. It's a verse that's constantly in my heart. But living it out on a day-to-day basis is quitting the rat race. It says to act justly or to seek justice, to love mercy, And to walk humbly with our God. It's not climbing anything. To seek justice. To look out for the disenfranchised. Look out for 
those who don't have what I even have. Instead of looking at the people who have what I don't have, I'm looking the other way. To seek justice, watch out for them. To love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So I've been at the table. I've met Jesus. I know him. And this is what he's calling me to do. That's what I get from Zacchaeus. If you're not there yet, if you're here, you're up in the tree hiding and you're just kind of saying, who is Jesus? I think there's something in here for you too. And I don't want us to miss it because I think it's probably the whole sum because the gospel is all about who Jesus is and why he's here, right? That's what Luke wants to eventually lay out for everyone. So maybe you're, you've never met him or maybe you're qu- kind of questioning him because I've been there too. I've sat in a pew and I've been like, um, I don't know. So he says in 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus recognizes at this moment, Zacchaeus, you're not unclean. You're not an outcast. You have been a son of Abraham. You still are a son of Abraham and you belong here. I think that's important for us to hear. You are a son of God. You've been a son of God, and he just wants to welcome you here and give you that salvation. The other thing he says, and this is more for the people around that are listening, namely the priests. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this is a textual uh, connection, which I think is really cool. Uh, We hear this and we're like, yes, the lost sheep. But the priests heard this as Ezekiel 34. So in Ezekiel 34, God goes off through his prophet Ezekiel. He's tired of the leadership that is taking Israel astray. He's tired of leaders who just let the sheep roam on the pastures and don't guide them. He's tired of watching his sheep go astray and then get mauled by wild animals. And it's all in there in Ezekiel 34. And what he says is, I'm so tired that I'm coming and I'm going to take it from you. Because if you're not going to take care of my sheep, I will do it. I gave them to you to look after, but it's time for me to come back. So when Jesus says, for the Son of Man, he's referencing Daniel 6, and the Son of Man is used for the Messiah, and come to seek and to save the lost. I'm here now. Your time is up. And you can either climb down your social ladder that you put yourself on and you can join me in seeking and saving these lost or I'm going to do it by myself because I care about my sheep. I love them. They are mine and that's who we are. We're the sheep. It's, he doesn't blame the sheep for going astray. He blames the leadership and then he calls the sheep back. Let us not forget who our Savior is this week, how he's called us back, how he loves us, how he wants us to be walking by his side. So I used to think this text was one lesson, 
for very few people to see. Now I realize that this is a few lessons for all of us to see the one. If you are seeking something more, if you're up in the tree, on the sidelines, waiting for your moment, I want you to take that today. Um, Don't let another day go by. In the Welcome Center, there's always elders. Kelly's in there. Other ministers who are waiting to hear. And I think it's that decision. If you haven't made that decision yet, take it. Today could be that day for you where everything from now on is totally changed. Zacchaeus did it. I think it worked out pretty good for him. So as we stand and sing.